It was a cool thing that happens at ICM. I think it's unique to international churches. Um, people will come here from all over the world. I, I, looked at the, I looked at the list. We've had 92 nationalities in 15 years. Uh, March 9, which I think is a Saturday, yeah, March 10 will be our 15th anniversary in uh, Milano, and I think we've probably had 800 to 900 people come through this little church. So God has been doing stuff here. But one of the cool things that happens is people come here and they're out of their comfort zone. They're out of their home culture. They're away from their family. They're away from their, their friends. And they hear God in a brand new way. You know, they're away from most of you. Probably come from some church uh, in your home country. They're even away from their home, shall we say, church or denomination. And they hear God in a brand new way. I mean, we hear this all the time. People begin to hear God in a way they have never heard Him before. Now, some people, obviously, you're converted here. You know, it's like they... they uh, yeah, they, they meet Christ here, and I, I have the opportunity to baptize some of them. Some of them, obviously, they don't realize they've been converted here till they get back home, and people start to tell them, now wait a minute, you've completely changed. So I don't get to baptize them. Someone else gets that privilege. But we, you know, people are converted here. They are converted here. And we stay in contact with them, right? They stay in touch with us. <laughs> and we can tell by, by the way they speak and the things they're doing that they indeed are what Jesus has been talking about here in John 15. They are indeed proving to be His disciples. They are obeying Him. They are abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, abiding in His love. So they are indeed proving themselves to be the disciples of Jesus. That's verse 8. In John 15, by the way. Unfortunately, others who seem to have the very same experience as those I just spoke about, those who are genuinely converted, they seem to have had some kind of experience with Jesus, but after they repatriate and complications arise, they begin to cool to their newfound interest in Christ. They re-enter their home culture and because of one complication or another, um, Jesus just kind of gets pushed to the periphery. Now, I see this all the time, right? This is one thing I say to people. When I see them get excited about Christ, maybe for the first time in their life, the thing I'll say to them is don't push Him to the periphery. Don't let this die. Don't ignore this. This means something, right? So I'm always exhorting those who are being called of God or drawn by God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the guy in Matthew 13. Uh, You remember the parable of the sower? The parable of the soils, as some people call it. You remember the rocky soil guy? Let me just read it to you. Matthew 13, 20. This is the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. I see this. I see this in the church. This happens in every good church. Every Bible-believing church, this happens. 
people are getting converted, and sadly, some people are just infatuated. They just become infatuated with who they think Jesus is, right? So this is what's happening here in Matthew 13. This man receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. It's not down in his heart. He's just merely infatuated with who he thinks God is, who he thinks Jesus is. And the text continues, And he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately he falls away. I've told you, Many times, I baptized people and they just walk away. You know, I do my very best to try to uh, determine that this is a genuine born-again experience, but I can't see the heart. I can't see it. Only God can see it. There's no firm root. And when it gets hard, they just walk away. They just walk away. They're not willing to undergo the least inconvenience for the name of Jesus. Jesus says this person received the good news with joy, but there is no firm root. They immediately fall away when it gets hard. You know, you've seen this if you've been in the church very long. Jesus, um, some people just see Him as a savvy add-on. You know, it's just good to add Jesus to my life. My life will be better if I add Jesus. Just in case there is a hell, I won't go there. Right? So, I'm just going to add Him to my life. This is not biblical in any sense of the word. Christianity is I give myself to God. I'm giving myself away to God. Now, the false Christian will say, well, I'll add Jesus to my life. I'm just going to add Him. He's like a new couch. Right? Or a new car. He'll help my life be better. This is, unfortunately, the mindset of many who call themselves Christians. But if it's going to be uncomfortable, if it's going to cost me, if it's going to radically alter my lifestyle and who my friends are and what I do, no, that infatuation is not worth that kind of change. I was listening to Piper, as I often do this week, and I just wanted to share this quote with you. I thought it was perfect. These are the rocky soil people, okay? He says, I'm astonished at people who say they believe in God, but live as if happiness is found by giving Him 2% of, his, of their attention. Do you, do you see how that's an oxymoronic kind of thing? I believe He's there. I believe this awesome God is there. I believe He's there. But, you know, hey, if it's not too inconvenient, I'll give Him maybe 2% of my time, 2% of my resources. Do you see what an oxymoron is? If He's there, if God is really there, if He's really loved us like, you know, the Bible says Jesus has loved us, then He expects you to give yourself to Him with no reserve. Because you know what? That's how He gave Himself to you. There was no reserve. So that man in Matthew 13, there was no firm root. And that's what we've been seeing in John 15, the Judas branch. He was never real, a purely imaginary follower. It was a mere infatuation. You know, the whole Judas thing was, what can I get out of him? 
This is where this is the unfortunately this is the level where many uh, professing Christians live. What can I get out of God? You know, you have to cross over. You have to get beyond that. That's not what Christianity is about. Yes, of course, we get eternal life. That's a big deal. But the rest of our life is not just trying to get stuff. The rest of our life is giving ourselves away to Him. Obeying Him. Being His disciple. You know, we've been singing in, 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 in John 15, abiding in Him, abiding in His Word, and abiding in His love. You know this, if you've been a Christian very long, if you claim to be a Christian, complications will arise. Just mark it down. <laughs> complications will arise. It's what Jesus is talking about tonight. You heard the text read. If you're biblically literate, you know this is true. If you've been a Christian any number of years, you know this is true. You remember what Paul told Timothy. There'll be at least one experience in common that every Christian has. Right? God's Word doesn't say some will experience this or few would or most would. He said all would. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Anybody know? Persecuted. It's not if. And it's not most. It's all. It's all. That's what Jesus is saying to us tonight. The world hates me. It will hate you. The world persecuted me. It will persecute you. These are just the words of God. Well, that's unfortunate. No worries. No worries. God says, if you're in My Son, count on it. Persecution is coming to you. Now, some of you live in parts of the world where that's a reality every day. Some of us have never really been exposed to any kind of systematic persecution. We, we, we get it from you know, the people at work sometimes, our boss, our, our families, even uh, our neighbors, when they find out we're true lovers of Jesus. It happens. It happens. But God says it's inevitable, it's unavoidable, it's inescapable, it's certain, it's expected. 1 Peter chapter 1, it is necessary. God says it's necessary that you pass through trials and persecutions that you may know your faith is genuine. Listen, God's not going to put you through anything, right? And I see Christians go under, go under hard times and man, they just abandon God, right? If God's not going to bless me, I'm out of here. Well, your definition of blessing is incomplete. He is blessing. He blesses in the hard times. So, we're not supposed to be surprised when the persecution comes. We're supposed to be prayed up and we're supposed to be ready. I, 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 I see this many, many times. People are just shocked that, you know, they're in a trial or they're shocked that persecution has befallen them. Jesus said it would happen. He said it will happen. It will happen. You're supposed to be ready. It's coming to you. The more vocal you are in the world, the more will come. It's just, it's like a natural law. 
the more vocal you are in the world about the biblical Jesus, I'm not talking about the pseudo-Christian Jesus, I'm talking about the biblical one, um, you will experience persecution. So why is that true? Because we belong to Him. <laughs> it's what He says to us tonight. Because we belong to Him. Jesus is explicit. They hated Me. They will hate you. The world will recognize that you are not one of them. So they will come after you in one way or the other. John 15.20, Jesus says, if they persecuted Me, they will persecute you. I heard one theologian say some years ago, the more truly we are conformed to Christ's image, the more intense the opposition will be. I think it's something good for us to think about. If there's absolutely zero persecution or negative complications because of my faith in my life, I think we, have, I think we need to be talking to God about that. I think we need to be talking to God about that because Jesus said it will happen. You want to elevate that? You want to elevate the, the, the persecution in your life? Start calling evil, evil. Just start calling it evil. You know, the culture has a sweet name for almost every sin now. You know? And they have a rationalization for almost every kind of wickedness. But what we need to do in love is to say, that's evil! And the reason it's evil is because it separates you from God. That's love to talk like that. That's love. Now, the world doesn't receive it as love. It's hate speech. This is how dead and stupid the world is, right? The true Christian speaks love. The true Christian calls evil, evil, right? That's what we do. Because we love people. So I want to say this, and I've already alluded to it. When the persecution comes, God is in it. He hasn't abandoned you. He's coming to you. He's coming to you in the persecution. We need to remember that what men mean for evil, does anybody know what men mean for evil? God means for good. Amen. God means for good. You have to, you have to actually believe that. You know, when, 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 when God turns the heat up, when He brings out that pruning knife and He cuts deep, you have to believe. You have to believe that what God is doing is good. It doesn't feel good, but I believe it's good because He says it's good and I trust Him. I don't trust what the preacher says. I don't trust the church. I don't trust the Pope. I don't trust Joel Osteen. I trust God. And beloved, you'll stand in the fire. You'll stand in the fire and He'll be right there with you. He'll be right there with you in the fire. Men may ostracize and ridicule and mock and abuse and slander and attack and even kill us, but as we talked about some weeks ago, if God is with us, 
who can be against us. Thanks for singing that song. It's perfect. Jesus said in Luke 21, He says, They'll put some of you to death, but not one hair of your head will perish. What does that mean? They're going to put me to death, but not one hair will perish. Well, you know what it means, right? There'll be no eternal harm to you. Yeah, let them kill the body. So what? To die is gain. Some of you yet don't believe that dying is gain. You don't believe that living is Christ and dying is gain. God means for you to think like this. God means for you to own this. God means for you to incarnate this. Let me just reread these first three or four verses here. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates... Okay, hate. In the NAS, which is the most literal translation of the Greek, the word hate appears six times in eight verses. Jesus wants to make sure you understand the world hates you. Okay? Jesus wants to make sure you, there's no confusion. The world hates you. The world's coming after you. The world came after Him. They're coming after you. Many times in the guise of religion. But let me pick up here. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Man, there's three hates right there. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember... The word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So let me define what he's talking about here, this, this word world. It has several meanings in Scripture. One, obviously, is the, the physical planet. That's not what he's talking about. One is a, is a word for all humanity. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is the fallen system that's in uh, rebellion against God. Uh, you guys know what the Bible says about Satan. He's the lowercase g God of this world, right? You guys know this. It's his system. Why is the media so screwed up? <laughs> it's his system. It's his system. He's the lowercase g God of the fallen world that is in rebellion against God. This is the way Jesus is using this term, the world. Satan is the ruler of this world system and fallen men are his enthusiastic accomplices. Now I want you to remember, Jesus is talking to the eleven here. Okay? Judas is gone. He's talking to the eleven. Ten of these guys will be martyred. Jesus is, you know, Jesus is just being honest with them, man. You know? He's just being honest with them. Is it getting hot in here? This feels hot to me. And I'm in charge? There. Okay. Um, so, these guys, 10 of these 11 guys will be martyred. So, he, this is going to happen to them. It's going to happen to them. And just as a history lesson... Um, if you just read the book of Acts, the martyr, I mean the, the persecution started immediately, right? It's just just read the book of Acts with this in view. It's just persecution, persecution, persecution. It just began. We know the Apostle Paul. Persecution, 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 right? And we know 
there was an official persecution in Rome for like 300 years and then the Roman Catholic Church persecuted the, the true church for a thousand years. Jesus wasn't lying, was He? And we know that there are hundreds of thousands a year Christians who are still martyred on this planet because they align themselves with the one the world hates. They align themselves with Jesus Christ. There's a reason God called us aliens, right? <laughs> Go read Hebrews chapter 11. You are an alien. Some of you are living like the world. The world doesn't believe you're an alien. Nobody believes you're an alien. God says my people are aliens. This is what the Lord says. Back in John 7.7, 7, Jesus says, The world hates Me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go out in the world, call some of these PC things evil, and find out how much the heat gets turned up. Find out how much the heat gets turned up. Hey, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't be compassionate. Yes, of course we should be compassionate. But you know what? We've got to love people enough to tell them what God says. Not what some psychologist says. Or what, what Oprah says. Or what somebody you know, on the internet says. What does God say? You know what? I'm working on a project right now. And the deeper I go with this, the more I tremble. Listen, what I want to say to you, what I want to say to you, if you have no sense that you need to tremble before this awesome God, you're not looking at the God of the Bible. You're not looking at the God of the Bible. So, God says, I, Jesus says, I testify to the wickedness of the world and you you're supposed to be a walking breathing talking rebuke to the world this is this is your job description my very existence is a rebuke to the world it's a rebuke to the evil one and the system that he has established that is in rebellion against God. The older I get, listen, I've been so naive for a lot of my life. Well, I thought, you know, well, people are just trying to, you know, do, do what's best for everybody. No, they're not. The system is wicked and evil. And it hates Jesus Christ. Just go out in the world and speak his name. Hey, you can talk about God generically all you want. You bring up His name, it all changes pretty fast depending on what circles you're in. They hate Him. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it in school, in the neighborhood, in social circles, at work, in your family. Some of us have experienced it in our families. We don't fit here anymore. We don't fit. You guys know what Paul says about true conversion. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man is in Christ, he is what? Someone tell me. If any man is in Christ, he is brand new. He's brand new. The world sees it and the world hates it. They don't like that light shining out of you <laughs> and shining through 
you. That light convicts them of their deeds which are evil. You guys know what John writes in 1 John 3.12 about why did Cain murder Abel? What was that about? Listen to what the Bible says. Because his deeds were evil and his brother was righteous. This is why the world hates you. Because their deeds are evil and you are righteous. They hate your righteousness. They hate it. They hate it. This is a war. It's a spiritual war. You know, some people call themselves Christians. They have no idea they're in a spiritual war. They are clueless. I am in a spiritual war. Every day I roll out of bed, it's a spiritual war. It's just what it is, beloved. I'm not trying to overstate it. I'm just trying to maybe for, for some of you to kind of wake up and realize the milieu that you live in, the ambiance, the, the environment that you live in. You know, sometimes as a Christian, some of you have experienced this, you just encounter hatred, it seems like, for hatred's sake. There's no reason this person should hate me. Why is this person hating me? When I've done good to this person, this person is hating me. Well, if we're mature in the Word, we understand what that is about. Jesus said, they have hated you because I chose you out of the world and you are mine. It's that Ephesians 1-4 thing that I always go back to. I've told the young adults a couple times recently. <clears throat> when I'm in a hard spot and I'm confused and I want to get anxious, and I always go back to Ephesians 1-4. I was adopted in Him before the foundation of the world. That's how long God has loved me Okay, before the foundation of the world. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. This fundamental truth, the bedrock truth for every Christian. And I love 1 Peter 2.9. God says, you are a chosen race of people for God's own possession. Why? Why? For health, wealth, and prosperity? No, that's garbage. Turn that off. Why? that you may proclaim the excellencies of Christ who has called you out of darkness and into the light. Jesus says, I am the light. And He's called us, beloved, to be salty and to be luminous. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 5.15. He says, if I make you light bearers, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a light bearer. If you're not bearing light in a dark world, you're not a Christian. You're something else. You're merely religious or I don't know what you're doing. You're supposed to be a light bearer. You don't think I'm going to hide. This is, this is Peterson's again of, of, of Matthew 5.15. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. What does the world see when a Christian suffers persecution with graciousness? What does the world see? A God worthy to suffer for. Right? This is such an indictment on the health, wealth, and prosperity garbage. You know? The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, it's like, it's like we, you know, it's just taking what the world naturally wants and saying, well, God wants to give this to you. I mean, it's the, the most simplistic kind of lie. It's just the most simplistic kind of, of lie that we could fall for. So we're, we're called to be the light in the world. Jesus says, I'm the light. We're called to be the light. 
We're not to hang out under buckets. Okay? You're not supposed to be under a bucket. You say, well, Jim, it may not be prudent to speak in this place. Well, okay, I get that. You need to be wise and discerning, but you don't need to be a coward. If it's just about being a coward, you need to get alone with God. And you need to get prayed up. If the persecution's here, beloved, Jesus has put your light on a stand and everybody is watching. Okay? Everybody is watching. And God means for you to be conspicuous and peculiar. (laughs) I think it's like six or eight times God calls His people peculiar. We are a peculiar people. We are an alien people. It's how God has called us to live. So yeah, many will shun you and some will even hate and persecute you. But God is going to put you on a lampstand. You know what's going to happen? Two things will happen. At least two things will happen. We talked some about it last week. You will feel the pleasure of God and God will convert people through your ministry, through your testimony, through your witness. These two things will happen. When you're on the lampstand, when you're in the heat, when the fire comes, when the persecution comes, when the trial comes, these two things will happen. If you abide in Christ, you abide in the Word, you abide in His love, you will feel the pleasure of God like we talked about last week. The other thing that will happen is the Gospel seeds will be planted in those in your orbit. People will be converted. People will be converted. Paul calls Christians sons of light, sons of the day, and sons, pardon me, saints of light. I'll just stop and ask, is that a description of your life in the world? Are you a light in the world? Are you speaking it? Are you walking it? Jesus says the world will hate you. They have come after me. They will come after you. We're not supposed to be surprised. We're supposed to be ready. John Bunyan, you guys know this. You guys, most of you know John Bunyan, uh, 17th century uh, minister. He was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you may know that he greatly suffered in prison. Um, and he was persecuted by the false church. But Bunyan said this. Listen, listen to what Bunyan says. He, he's talking to his, he's talking to his, his colleagues in, in the ministry. He says, hey, did you, get a, did, you, did you escape arrest? Laugh. He says, uh, were you taken? Laugh. Be pleased whichever way things shall go. For the scales are in God's hands. Be not offended at God or man, not at God, for you are His servant. Your life and all you have is His. Why are you offended at God? There's that great uh, text in, in Job. Why should any man complain in light of their sin? Why should any man complain? Are you a person who complains? Listen, can I just say it straight out? The Bible says you better shut up. You better learn not to complain. The Bible says it's a little bit softer than me. Don't be offended at God or man. not at the man, for he is God's rod and is ordained in this to do you good. Man, what, what freedom this is to learn to process life like this. Right? Are you, do you escape? Laugh. Are you taking? Laugh. My God's God. He does whatever He pleases. And I'm just a servant. 
And whatever He does in my life, praise God for it. I'm going to be with Him for a billion eternities. What happens here? Well, by comparison, by comparison, it will be long forgotten. You guys know Hebrews 11. It says these two things. By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 34. By faith, some were put to death with the sword. Verse 37. What's he saying? When it gets hard, sometimes God delivers, sometimes God doesn't. That's not your business. That's God's business. It's not your business whether God delivers or God doesn't. That's not your business. Your business is to witness. That's it. Witness. Listen, man, you got to tremble before God. you got to realize He actually knows what He's doing. He knows a lot better than you what He's doing. He knows how to run a cosmos. You and I just need to learn to be humble. So we know that in parts of Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, and randomly all over the place, people are still persecuted to the point of death. I remember my seminary professor, I went to seminary in America, in the middle of America, Kansas City, and I remember him saying this, I never forgot it. He said, there is a respite in the West, but it won't be long. They'll be coming for us too. And if you follow the politics in my home country, you can see there's this undercurrent of despising Christianity and the values of Christianity. You can see this undercurrent. And I think... Maybe even in my lifetime, but if not in some of your lifetimes, it will be overt in some places where it is not overt now. But Jesus said it would be so. So I want to ask you, when it comes to you, when it comes to you, Jesus says it will come to you, when it comes to you, will you be like um, Peter and John? Remember Acts 5, they counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, some years ago, I got blasted by someone, and it really hurt. I mean, blasted. Blasted. And it really hurt. It really messed me up. And Karen, <laughs> I told you how much I loved her last week. This is, this is, this is uh, yeah, this is what a great spouse will do for you when you get blasted because you love Jesus. She comes in, she reads this text. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. <laughs> you guys know that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. That was what I needed to hear, right? Beloved, the persecution is not for nothing. Jesus means to work through it. So we don't seek persecution. That's not who we are. We don't martyr ourselves as some religions do. We don't seek it, but when it comes, we don't shrink back from it. We abide in Christ. We abide in the Word. We abide in His love. Let's finish up here, verses 21-25. to 25. But all these things they will do to you for My name's sake because they do not know the One who sent Me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father 
also. If I had not done, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Verse 25, but they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that it was written in their law, they hated me without cause. Again, he's addressing the eleven specifically, but he's also addressing uh, you and me, all true believers. This is a universal truth. Jesus knew that Satan was coming for him in the guise of religion. He knew it. Of course he knows it. (laughs) Okay? He knows what's unfolding. That's the reason he was laying in the manger. He was coming to be on the cross. So he knew it. And he knew that Satan would come through dead religion to persecute his disciples. You may remember in John 8, Jesus gave the religious leaders who were seeking to kill him, he gave it to them real straight. And uh, he said, You're of your father, the devil. You remember that? He said, you don't know my Father. This is again in uh, John, John 8. You don't know my Father. You say He's your God, but you don't know Him. You, do not come to, you have not come to know Him. If God were your Father, you would love Me. But you are of your Father, the devil. What the Jews did to Judaism, they took God's truth and they, they twisted it into apostate religion that killed Christ. The Gentiles have done with the Gospel, by and large. They've taken the revelation of the the New Testament revelation, and in many cases, many of these false denominations, they've twisted it into a false message to where it is biblically unrecognizable. And I just want to say, uh, if you don't know John 17.3, you should know John 17.3. Who wants to tell me what it says? You need to know this verse. Jesus defines eternal life. And it's not being a church member. And it's not attending when it's not too inconvenient. And it's not tithing. And it's not teaching. And it's not preaching. Right? It's knowing God. This is eternal life that they may know you. If the relationship's not going on, then you've got serious problems that you need to take care of, that you need to address. It's all about the relationship. So I want to spend just a moment here on verse 22 and 24. What's Jesus saying here? That if uh, He had not come, there would be no sin. He's obviously not saying that there were, if He had not come, there'd be no sin in general or, or guilt for sin in general. He's talking about something very specific. They willfully rejected Him. Israel rejected their Messiah. That's what He's talking about. The, the religious leaders have rejected Messiah. He walked among them. He spoke the words of God to them. He unleashed divine power before them. They have no excuse. I say it to you all the time. Romans chapter 1, you can read it for yourself. You're without excuse. And every man, woman, boy, and girl walking the planet is without excuse. Romans chapter 1. You know there is a God. It's written on your heart. It's written on your conscience. You know you have a Creator. There will be no excuses. You know it. It's the same thing. Knowingly rejecting, ergo hating God. You do know that 
to be indifferent to the most glorious being in the cosmos is tantamount to hate. How could you be indifferent to your own Creator? This is tantamount to what God says is true, Romans chapter 1, of every human, human being apart from Christ, and that is that we have hated Him. You see it all over the Gospel of John. It's kind of a sub-theme. It's not that men don't know, it's that men do know. It's not that men don't understand, it's that men do understand. Jesus quotes Psalm 35 and Psalm 69 here. He says, They hated Me without cause. <laughs> Famous preacher in the States, John MacArthur, he says, Jesus offers nothing but good to mankind. If they hate Him, it's simply because they want to. Right? There's no justifiable cause to hate Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the world has hated and persecuted me because I have chosen you out of the world. They will hate and persecute you as well. And let's just look real quick. We'll pick up verses 26 and 27 next week, but I just want to drop down to verse six, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm saying this stuff to you that you may be kept from stumbling. What he's saying is a storm is coming, and I don't want you to stumble over the fact that a storm is coming. A storm is coming. And He's saying the same thing to you and me. If you're a real Christian in the real world, a storm is always on the horizon. There's, a storm is coming. Don't stumble. I told you it would come. I told you it would be hard to go with me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your... I told you it's not always easy to go with me. Man, I hate these wicked false teachers who always make it sound like it's just a, a ride at an amusement park to go with Christ. It's a run through the park with balloons. That's just stupidity, ignorance, naivete, and wickedness. It's exactly what that is. So we're not supposed to be surprised when it comes. We're supposed to be ready. But for the true believer, right? <laughs> we get this warning in John 16.1 that we're not to stumble, but we're encouraged. Listen to just some of these promises and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done. James chapter 1, Consider it all joy as God perfects and completes us in the trial, right? 1 Peter 1, Greatly rejoice in the necessary trials that prove your faith. Romans 8, Know that God causes all things to work together for good. Matthew 5, rejoice and be glad for our reward in heaven is great. You guys know Hebrews 11. You may remember the, 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 the chapters talking about what real faith is, what it looks like. And I believe the litany was like this between verses 35 and 37. There will be affliction, ill treatment, destitution, torture, scourging, mocking, imprisonment, chains, and being sawn in two. You say, well, none of that's ever going to happen to me. That's probably right. Probably the only persecution you and I will ever encounter is emotional. I did get fired once. Some of you may get fired because, you're, because of your ethical standards. Certain things you won't do. What does it say to an unbelieving world when we humbly suffer persecution for the sake of Jesus? It says Jesus is better than life. Jesus is better than anything this life can give and Jesus is better than anything death can take. 
When you have it all, God is better. When you lose it all, God is better. So, in John 15, Jesus is talking about what real Christian, what real Christianity is like in the real world. We can see it in Hebrews 11. He's inviting us into the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11. And we accept because we know David is right about God. Psalm 63.3, the loving kindness of God is better than life. We know that. If we're true believers, we get it. So Jesus says, the world will hate and persecute you because you are mine. And the true believer says, that's okay. You've loved us. And yeah, we love you. (laughs) Hey man, you're only here for a few minutes. As compared to eternity, you're only here for a few minutes. Are you going to fear God or are you going to fear man? It's your decision. It's your choice. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. What a great and awesome God. Thank You for this warning and this Word. Lord, we don't want anyone to become a Christian in in some superficial way, some uninformed way. You lay it out for us. It will not always be easy. In fact, sometimes it will be quite difficult. Sometimes it will cost. Sometimes it will be hard. Because we claim Your name. So Lord, I pray that we would all be prayed up We wouldn't be surprised when it comes. We'll be ready when it comes. And we'll make much of Jesus. We'll make much of Jesus. Lord, thank You for this strong Word. Thank You for the Gospel of John. Thank You for how You minister to me and I trust with everyone in this room through this this strong Word. We love You. We praise You. We pray this in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.